0: Eight, seven, six, five,
1: four,
2: three, two, one. Hey, welcome back to Optimism Vaccine. I'm Steve. It's our first show of 2022. How thrilling. And Adam Myros, it is a new year, so I think it's about time that you just sort of came clean here and face the truth and give our audience an honest answer. Uh, to the question that's been floating around. Are you or are you not sexually attracted to the grumpy vacuum from the Brave Little Toaster?
1: Uh, I've never seen the film, you know. Uh, it I'll sounds
2: be... like you're being really dismissive. You, you, didn't, you didn't answer. The, it's a simple <laughs> yes or no question. Well, you I mean, brush it off.
1: I'm I'm not trying to brush it off. I I'm just saying, you know, I I haven't had the exposure to the grumpy vacuum to say whether uh-huh. or not I find it sexually stimulating. I'm not going to dismiss it out of hand, but okay. in my life experience thus far, I can't say as I've had any reaction, but uh, do that could just simply be due to ignorance though.
2: Yeah, so there's a chance. There's there a is chance a chance there. There, certainly. That's good. Uh, well, I mean, we'll, we'll keep that door open then in 2022. I think that's what this year should should be about. Uh, Jake, are you sexually attracted to any of the characters from The Brave Little Toaster?
3: You know, Steve, I'll take any of them except for the terrifying fucking air conditioner. Uh, that guy can stay where he is. Everyone else, come on board this journey with me. Let's go find the master, shall we?
2: Yeah, I think that's, that's a great way to look at things. Although, I, I agree with the no air conditioner, because fuck that thing, but... I don't know. Maybe I'm leaving the blanket out too because I think the blanket's like a baby, and I don't know if I want to fuck a baby, even if it's a blanket. <laughs> uh, but but then oh. again, like everything's supposed to be old, and you know, I, I I don't know. Is the blanket old too? Then and it's all very confusing.
3: There's there's just a, an innocence to the these household objects that uh, were left behind.
2: Yeah, I, I feel like when they conceived the film, they weren't thinking about, like, who's fucking what. But yeah, the thing that I always struggled with was, and, and I think this was after seeing the original Toy Story, which is a very similar movie in a lot of ways, honestly. Uh, Toy Story, though, is about toys that get discarded, and then they're trying to get back to their, their owner, and, it's, and there's this nostalgia thing, though, right? You have nostalgia for your childhood toys. These are things that you love. In The Brave Little Toaster... It's shit trying to get back to their owner, but like it's, it's a vacuum and a toaster and a, and a radio. Like these are not things that you actually give a shit about. When was the last time you had a positive thought about your toaster? Like a warm, fuzzy feeling. And I don't think anyone's ever had that feeling before.
1: I don't own a toaster. Yeah
2: yeah see exactly it's and exactly. they're all and
3: the problem is too is that these are items that have been left behind at like a cabin somewhere on a mountain and uh like they're as the kid grows up certainly there's going to be better models of what he's wanting to take with him to college like he just grabs mm-hmm. these hand-me-downs because they're you know they're cheap sure there's the memory that goes with them but um you know they're bas- they're basically obsolete objects
2: yeah this this isn't even this isn't even the toaster used every day every day at home this is like your vacation home shit toaster impossibly Hard. stupid are these yeah.
1: things all these things all function still or what
2: oh uh, they function they oh function yeah just fine
1: well then i gotta say i'm, I'm on team air conditioner here because that's that's something you want in your home generally yeah that's well you haven't
3: met the
2: air well, conditioner, you, you
1: you don't need
3: want... to see the brave little toaster before you pick the air conditioner side because yeah that's one madman
1: i i gotta tell you guys i don't think i'm gonna be seeing the brave little toaster anytime soon it feels like that that ship may have sailed well, I think
2: I mean you could you could argue that you want to take the the air conditioner maybe I guess if you're not terrified you certainly wouldn't want to fuck it though I mean that's that's totally off the table. Well, how hot is it outside? You know, <laughs> I don't even know. Like, where do you go with that? I mean, at least the va- the vacuum literally sucks. Like, I mean it's it's kind of a it's a built in you know get what you need out of it right there. The uh, the air conditioner is blowing. Honestly, what
3: I know it's a, it's voiced by a baby kid, but the blanket's your best option. I'm sorry to it say. It may be. It, it's certainly have a know. better
1: option than the titular toaster. That, that, <laughs> the, that's just <laughs> a... Oh, you, can't, you can't fuck that. What are you...
3: What are you going to do with the with the John Lovitz radio, you know? Or the... Or oh, Lampe? my God. What are those guys going to yeah. do? The blanket is the only choice. I'm so, You're going to, like, I, space dock do with terrible, the John Lovitz antenna? This is a terrible <laughs> discussion about <laughs> the kid... Growing up to fuck the objects from the Brave Little Toaster, a movie I watched and held dear to my heart as a child.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, if you're ranking it, I th- I do think at the end of the day, it's it's vacuum blanket toaster, air conditioning, uh, radio. I don't even know what you do with the radio. That's no. there's there's no clear place to put anything with that, so he's off the table. Anyways, a lot of you are probably thinking, you know, why have we spent the better part of five minutes talking about? what the most fuckable character from the brave little toaster is and uh, the answer is because this is this is Jake's special week. I feel like we've That's been right. we've been abusing Jake uh, lately and by lately I mean uh, for years and essentially he he is a trooper. He's always here. He's he's like he's like the postman trudging through the snow, but in this case the snow is just the worst shit humanly possible, you know? We're like, "Hey Jake, look, there's a Stuart Paul movie you need to see." Mhm. Yep. And he he diligently he salutes and he says, Yes, let's do this. I'm I'm all in. And we thought, you know, in twenty twenty two, our New Year's resolution should be, let's let's let Jake pick a fucking show for once. Come on. That's let's right. Let's let him do it. And Jake, you chose not the brave little toaster. You chose David Lynch. And specifically um his three most recent films. Mm-hmm. I guess not including Twin Peaks The Return. Oh, that's We're not gonna get into that shit. Thing. Oh yeah, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what what made you what made you choose David Lynch for this episode?
3: Well, I mean, I consider Lynch to be one of, if not the greatest living American filmmaker. He's made many films that I love tremendously, and I've never spoken about or written about him in in much of any capacity and i thought why not uh you know we just received a 4k blu-ray from criterion of Mulholland drive and you know why not why not go ahead and tackle his la trilogy as it were this is uh this is a time to celebrate the mastery of david lynch and uh i think this could very well be the greatest episode this podcast has ever seen
2: well there we go i suppose that's as good a reason as any Although I do want to start off, though, I have, I have some beef with Criterion, because when did the Blu-ray, their Mulholland Drive Blu-ray come out? Was it like two years ago? Not even? A year it's, ago?
3: It was a couple of years ago.
2: Okay, okay. And then they just they just hit us with the 4K. Not Great. that I'm complaining, but I will remind you, dear listeners and, and podcast co-hosts, that when Criterion first started putting out Blu-ray films, whatever, 10 years ago, and they switched from DVDs, They had a trade-in program, wherein when they would release new stuff on Blu-ray, if you just had the DVD version, you could trade that shit in, and they would send you a disc for a a nominal fee. Uh, There is no such program to be had with the 4K. So uh, Criterion, you're on notice. I'm just saying that. Although they're, they're not as bad as Arrow. Arrow's doing some real shady shit. Arrow's just like, hey, our release schedule for 2022 is everything we've put out for the past three years, but it's 4K now. Fuck that. Yeah, Screen Factory and, YouTube, fuck that shit.
3: Oh yeah, and then fuck your artwork. Yeah, also fuck your artwork.
2: Screen Factory's worse too because they they've done they've done Blu-ray re-releases of things they already had on Blu-ray, but they're like, oh, we remastered it in 4K, but it's still just a Blu-ray. It's not a 4K disc. That's yeah. some psycho shit.
3: And they have a Anyways. sale every seven <laughs> months where your their films are four dollars off the regular price.
2: Mm-hmm. It's what great. a
3: steal! What a steal! There is nothing I
2: like more then getting a copy of John Carpenter's Children of the Damned uh, with its horrific like Crayola fucking scribble cover for the low, low price of (laughs) $27.95. Powerful, powerful stuff.
1: And yet Uh, I'm sure you own it.
2: (laughs) I I don't. No, I don't own that one. (laughs) Shockingly, shockingly, I do
3: not. Yeah. Uh, We'll see. I don't know. One day I will. Just to go back a brief moment, the original Criterion Blu-ray of Mulholland Drive came out in October of 2015. The new 4K came out in November 2021. So it's six God, years. God,
2: has it really been that long? Jesus. It has. I've, I've lost track of time. This is, this is... Yeah, that's bad. Okay, that's my fault. Sorry, Criterion. No, I, I, I was
3: under the impression it was more recent than it actually is. But uh, yeah, I'll be damned. It, uh, it was not.
2: How about that? Goddamn. Well... Whatever. It, I mean, I'm sure it's going to look great either way. You're not missing yeah. out. hmm So, uh, yeah, anyways, I think we should, we should probably do things chronologically because, uh, one, we're lazy and it's a simple format, and, two, it actually makes sense for this episode because I really do feel when you, when you look at this trilogy of Lynch films, they do all kind of build on top of each other in a lot of ways.
1: Mm-hmm. So, so this will be the only thing that makes sense in this episode. Exactly. Exactly. The that's, only, that's what we're, the, going for. we're going chronological <laughs> because David Lynch certainly will not. No, no.
2: <laughs> it's going to be a Mobius strip episode where somehow we go, we come all the way back around to, to, you know, why we're fucking toasters or something. I'm not sure. he will figure it out. We came um, in. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to do a David Lynch style, like on inland empire where he, he started shooting without a finished script. He just kind of, you know, Got to the end somehow. So we'll figure out how we can get back around to fucking toasters. But until then, hey, it's, it's Lost Highway, a movie I first saw when I was like 20 and had no idea what I was watching. A movie that came out in 1997 and critics were pretty lukewarm on it, weirdly enough. It's a movie that Roger Ebert uh, dismissed famously. I think famously. Most people always say hey, his review. Siskel.
3: They both gave it two thumbs down and Lynch went ahead and threw that on the poster. Yep. There you go. (laughs) And uh, I I believe I have a, I have a
2: quote from Ebert's review where he says, David Lynch's lost highway is like kissing a mirror. You like what you see, but it's not much fun and kind of cold. It's a shaggy ghost story an exercise in style, a film made with a certain breezy contempt for audiences. I've seen it twice, hoping to make sense of it. There's no sense to be made of it, to try is to miss the point what you see is all you get i don't know man it's i mean <laughs> it's not the the most linear film in the world but i don't think it's that bad also even if it is
1: fuck it it's great yeah i i mean there's like a, a kernel of of wisdom in that review i suppose that it it kind of doesn't behoove you to try and solve it <laughs> while you're watching it uh, no. That is kind of a folly, but that I don't think that translates to shallowness or, or it just no. being a, a surface level exercise in style. Certainly not.
2: No. And, and I think that's that's a mistake that can be easy to make, you know? It's like you, you don't want to admit that like you can't quite wrap your head around things, and instead of giving the film the benefit of the doubt, you assume the film is stupid, um, which I've probably done before too, but whatever. I'm perfect. Anyways... Uh, yeah, it's it's weird to me that this was—I mean, I wasn't, like, outright rejected by critics, but it was a pretty cool reception, uh, especially, like, you know, after Fire Walk With Me, which I think that got a little bit of backlash, too, and it just seems to be that that same kind of momentum— Uh, leading into this
3: movie
1: well I mean old Raj (laughs) wasn't exactly keen on like blue velvet as I recall
3: (laughs) yeah he he absolutely loathed that movie especially Lynch's Lynch's treatment of Isabella Rossellini he was not quite fond of back in 86
1: which yeah, I suppose you could levy similar complaints towards well most of these movies
3: Patricia Arquette, yeah yeah certainly Mm -hmm. this
1: film yeah absolutely
2: (laughs) yeah oh for sure for sure Uh, you you know, the, the the thing that's important with Lynch, and this is something I struggled with when I was 20 or whatever, when I saw this, you know, 15 years ago is I, I think there's a part of your brain that, that when you're younger, especially that just feels like you have to solve something, like you have to figure it out and that's the only way to get it. And that's the only way to really appreciate it and like it. And that you, you have to have just, just something there to hold on to. And David Lynch is important because it's an exercise in teaching us to let go of things. Okay? Yeah. Not everything—and this, this is for the Marvel brain folks out there. I think this is, this is the antidote. This is your, your vaccine for the Marvel brain. You got to watch David Lynch, and you got to let go of this shit, because I, I think a lot of contemporary blockbusters right now, they— tell us to look at every single detail like it's a, a puzzle to be solved leading into more and more and more and it's just that's not what it is just go for the fucking ride and lost Highway's a great ride
3: <laughs> yeah absolutely the last thing i want to do is go to youtube and plug in any of these movie titles plus explained after it and see how many results i get because that is not why because yeah like lost highway starts in the first Two, uh, not act two reels. I guess you could say the first forty-five minutes or so, it feels like it's building up to this mystery, and then yeah, it completely just gear shifts and goes into this new direction. But yeah, it's 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 not. It, you can't it, to it try to like explain what happens. It's just kind of like that's like the the folly that the audience would make. It's it's not uh it's not made made for that. You just have to go exactly for the ride kind of like uh the POV of a car barreling down a highway at night. That's the movie.
1: Yeah, I I think mm-hmm. that like one of the struggles with uh specifically lost Highway and uh Mulholland Drive that I had is exactly that. Like you're coming to it as as someone our age, Jake, you're a little younger, but uh yeah. It, you know, it's coming in with this wave of like sort of puzzle box films. It's like Nolan is coming on the scene, you know. You're watching this in memento back-to-back, perhaps. (laughs) And you're kind of trained to think about things a certain way. And then the other aspect of that is when you don't get it, and you're a a brash, arrogant, you know, 20-year-old who thinks, well, I didn't get it, it must suck. And the other factor at at that time period was we're all sitting there on, like, movie forums. And people who were Mm -hmm. really into Mulholland Drive on movie forums were the most insufferable pricks on the face of the earth who, who were very into telling you exactly what it meant. <laughs> so at some point, you just kind of dig in your heels and go, fuck this. I don't fucking want to have anything to do with it. Yeah. But, yeah, it, it's it's just very, like, going back to this, I I can't help but think of, like, how I viewed it at the time. And this, Lost Highway was one I always had some affinity for, um, some somewhat just for... The ridiculous elements in it like uh well Loja's performance and uh, uh the music some of them like you know rammstein is fucking kicking uh, around all over mm-hmm. this
2: <laughs> david lynch yeah. invented new metal you, you yeah. cannot deny that
1: uh yeah so it, it, this was always like the one that i found most accessible but it was also perhaps the most frustrating because the opening yeah that opening act of this movie is like some of the most compelling cinema you'll ever see in your life and then it just it's kind of like fuck you you were enjoying this get fucked that's not what i'm making and yeah you just you just had to accept that uh but man like i just i look at it and i'm like what you assume this movie is when you're watching it when you're 20 and you're like Oh well, Bill Pullman. I wonder how they framed him up. <laughs> That'll mm-hmm. become clear later. <laughs> they watch it now, and you're like, "Well, this guy fucking killed his wife." Very clearly, so not playing it as like a an ambiguous thing at all. <laughs> no,
2: no, and and you know, watching it again too, because you know, I was I was just thinking like, "Oh God!" Like, I I just I just remembered it being like cool and creepy, but incredibly incoherent. And it's funny just like there there's a there's a huge tell in this and it's pretty fucking obvious it's like one line it's just like oh yeah that's the whole goddamn movie and it's when uh Bill Pullman is talking to the cops and they're asking him like oh you know what happened here what happened and he says you know I like to remember things my way but how I remember them isn't isn't always how they happened you know and that's exactly what the movie is yeah and it's just like it's it's literally when when the movie makes the shift from uh, you know Bill Pullman uh, the aging jazz saxophonist to uh, not Bill Pullman the sexy mechanic Balthazar Getty <laughs> yeah Balth- Balthazar <laughs> Getty it, that's that's all it is it's just like that's the shift that's like him just kind of like reinventing his life that's it like that's the break and once you accept that then everything more or less kind of falls into place. You just go for the ride. Uh, the other thing that's that's kind of cool about this movie that I didn't think about when I saw it 15 years ago was, you know, the the context that that Lynch wrote it in. I guess so. Allegedly, based on some interviews and some other shit that I read, uh, Lynch wrote this literally the day that fire walk with me wrapped, like he wrote the first half of lost highway immediately. Cause he had this idea just kind of like kicking around in his head, um, up to the point where Bill Pullman goes to prison. And there's this, uh, quote from him where he was, in, he says he was inspired in the mo- to make the movie by the OJ Simpson trial. Uh, and he said, what struck me about OJ Simpson was that he was able to smile and laugh. He was able to, uh, go golfing with seemingly few problems about the whole thing. I wondered how, if a person did those deeds, he could go on living. And we found this great psychology term, uh, psychogenic fugue, describing an event where the mind tricks itself uh, to escape some horror. So in a way, Lost Highways about that and the fact that nothing can stay hidden forever. And that's, that's I mean, that's it, right? Like, and, and that makes perfect sense because O.J. is fucking psychotic. He wrote a book called I didn't do it, but if I did, here's how I fucking did it. Like come on. Like uh so I I think armed with that information, uh, Lost Highway suddenly becomes a lot more coherent and it's it god, it's just it's such a good fucking ride.
3: Yeah, yeah. I I've always like you know, people have their favorite Lynch films. I've always sort of thought this one was kind of maybe undervalued uh in his his filmography and I uh yeah, I fucking love this movie um the with the the scene with the mystery man at the party the phone call is like one of the best things that lynch has ever done and again you get like when you're a 20 year old you get into the mindset well you know obviously he had a guy at the house and all that no don't don't (laughs) i don't want to explain that i don't want that explained to me i want i just want to watch that unfold because it like robert blake's performance is just so fucking creepy and perfect and i just just watch, like it's just so brilliant yeah. um yeah you
2: don't need to know you don't need to know you who he is to. or what he is yeah. and there's a dozen different interpretations of oh he represents you know the human id and all this other shit it's like whatever yeah. man
3: he's the devil the
2: point is he's fucking creepy and yeah. he's omnipresent he's always there and he knows shit and and he he's fucking videotaping you and sending you tapes which is extremely creepy it's just unnerving it's deeply unsettling and yeah. that's that's how talented and incredible David Lynch is and why this film is so great is I don't need any context whatsoever for who the mystery man is it's just horrifying period like that's yeah. that's it it's this completely
1: unknown skin-crawling horror yeah and nobody does that like david Link. and this this movie is not a movie where a it, watching it now it doesn't present as a mystery at all like no it, it, pullman is pullman is fantastic in this film but he's fantastic as a guy who who is on the very verge of killing his wife like from moment one like <laughs> he he's like losing his goddamn mind very clearly this is not like loving husband or something it's a man like consumed by jealousy and and violence and it is it's just a fascinating watch and his performance is so magnetic and i think that again that's kind of why a lot of people might have issues with it because he's not in the whole movie (laughs) but no yeah like the whole backstory of like lynch actually getting that that message that opens the movie of of dick Laurent is dead is, is supposedly something that actually happened to him and, and sort of inspired a lot of things but it is yeah there, there's a lot in this film it, it is to say it undervalued in his ovor is accurate to me because i i think this movie is like top tier like i i have this up there with blue velvet and eraser head like i think this movie is him firing on all cylinders i i can't think of many better looking movies that I've ever seen. Honestly, though, like that, the way that this is lit, everything about it it's, it's just stunning.
3: <laughs> the, yeah, this is, has like some of the best just uses of darkness I've ever seen. Uh, especially in that, like Fred and his wife's apartment, there's the scene where he walks down after they've come home from the party and his hallway is just pitch black and Bill Pullman, like literally gets swallowed up by his own house and then he comes back out and he may or, may or may not be him. I don't know. It's up for you to interpret what happens when he goes to the end of the hall. And like, does he see his, a doppelganger? Is it a mirror? But um, yeah, just the, the house looks great. And also just the, like how oppressive the room tone is in it. it like sound has always been a, you know, a key part of Lynch's f- technique. And the, the way this movie looks and sounds, it's, it just makes me yearn for times when movies looked and sounded good it's it's really sad that we don't get much of anything like this anymore
1: honestly not to throw shade because it's not really my intent but i almost miss when david lynch movies looked like this because this is like the last movie before you really started fucking around with other formats (laughs) (laughs) like really getting into uh, playing around with how things look and and different technologies i mean mulholland drive to an extent but mulholland drive is also a film that you can kind of see at parts that it, it was shot as a television show. It doesn't have yeah. the same look that this does. The, nothing has the look that this does. This is just a singular piece of like visual art. Like it is a staggeringly beautiful film in many ways. And yeah, I, I see it as, it, it makes sense. that This is coming off firewalk with me. I, it's playing with a lot of those same ideas. Like it's a film that doesn't really traffic in, in characters. Everything is he is a representative of something like their, their ideas much to the, say this, you know, much the same way the twin peaks with, with Bob and, and a lot of the stuff he was exploring in, in the latter season there, uh, recently, but
0: hmm.
1: yeah, the, it's just, it, it hits on so many things that Lynch was obsessed with <laughs> mm-hmm. and duality and these sort of manifestations, uh, that sort of dictate human actions. It, it's, uh, fascinating stuff you just can't try and fucking figure it out
3: yeah
2: Nope. i think that's the best assessment but yeah don't don't sleep on lost highway what are you doing oh you don't think it's top tier lynch fuck you oh also it's, it's worth
1: keeping in mind uh, the robert blake of it all <laughs> <laughs> yeah this is Good god his yeah. last his last starring role even though I believe he's still alive. He's not
3: only is he still alive, he's making YouTube videos about <laughs> which are called I'm Not Dead Yet, but Hang On or something like that, where he just talks about working in Hollywood.
1: Yeah, so like uh <laughs> four years after this film where he plays like a, a ghoul uh he 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 pretty much you know he, he OJ killed his wife. He allegedly, <laughs>
3: allegedly allegedly The
1: state could not prove that he killed his wife, but uh Is this
3: a I mean, this is a final film for a lot of people. This is Richard Pryor shows up, he's, yeah, I mean, wheelchair bound, you know, but mm-hmm. he's recovering. And uh, Jack, the great Jack Nance, Lynch's regular since Eraserhead. It's his final film. He actually passed away before the movie premiered, which is really sad. So I don't think he even saw it. But uh, oh. yeah, it's kind of a it's it's kind of like a weird ending to I guess like as that what Adam was saying is that the Lynch that he loved. This is kind of like the last. The last bit you know there's still a lot of it in mulholland drive but uh yeah it's uh with the, just one of the last vestiges of what made him so wonderful
2: mm-hmm. and i just want to say we cannot legally say that robert blake definitely murdered his wife we, ca- we can't say that he murdered his wife even though it seemed like he really <laughs> murdered his wife because he was technically acquitted of murdering his wife however Was found liable for her wrongful death.
1: Well, much the same as the aforementioned uh, (laughs) OJ Simpson. There you go. (laughs) It's an interesting parallel. If if this film was based on that, and and (laughs) Blake lived it out just years later. It's it's very strange.
2: Yeah, I'm I'm glad that I I like to think Robert Blake sat down and watched Lost Highway, and he said, you know, it's not a bad idea. Why not? Something to ponder, something to chew on. Uh, okay, so we get we get Lost Highway in 1997, and then uh, fast forward a few years, and we get uh, the David Lynch movie. This is this is the one that that people reference. This is the one that you know. I, I think outside of Eraserhead, this is this is the one that that is his most critically acclaimed, and uh, the one that. People are constantly going back to. And if if you want to throw out some like greatest film of all time shit, you will hear that attached to Mulholland Drive. Uh it's interesting though, because I mean you you mentioned this earlier, Myros. This this somehow started off as a as a TV show.
1: Yes. In fact, I believe there's a cut uh that was uh for a pilot that you can still find. Okay. And then eventually we we land on,
2: you know, what we have now. And this is another one too, where I definitely liked it more than Lost Highway fifteen years ago, but I still felt like I didn't quite get it, and I feel a lot dumber now because this this is not incoherent at all. Like if you're paying attention, I think I much I must have been drinking too much at the time because <laughs> I I don't know. Like I I mean. You you mentioned this before, I think, in our group chat. But the the film literally gives you a key. <laughs> that, that yeah, I mean, it, it it displays a blue key that kind of gives you the whatever answers you may need uh, to whatever problems you're you're having understanding the narrative. But it's it's really not all that hard to fucking follow. And God, it's just like another another film from Lynch where just moment to moment. There's so many different, just compelling and even like iconic scenes that'll just absolutely rock your dick off, and it's it's amazing to me that someone can make a two hour movie like this, and there's like three, four, maybe five all timer scenes in in this film, which is crazy too at me. least yeah, at least,
3: yeah it's that's interesting yeah you because I always recommended well, I think I was like 16 or 17 maybe 18 when I was first recommended to watch and Drive and this is kind of where I started watching Lynch films and getting into it and the guy who recommended it to me he said like I saw it one time and I hated it and then I saw it the second time and I loved it that's because pay attention to something that pay attention to the opening shot and something that ha- that happens two-thirds of the way through um now I'll, I'll just I'll go ahead and say this is my favorite film um of any film there you film. go and I I think it's not really so much as that there's a like a common interpretation or or maybe there is. But I, I think just watching it, it's kind of evident as to what's happening in the movie. Am I am I am I like wrong to say that? I know you can, you can have your own theories, of course.
1: Well, I mean, I make, there's certainly things happening under the surface. But I yeah, mean, this is absolutely of the three films we're looking at today. This is the only one I, I feel like. You could look at narratively and and understand precisely what's happening like it, it, all you have to do is basically just watch the third act it it, it kind of <laughs> tells you yeah. the plot of the movie right if you're struggling yeah. you know it once once they do enter once they open the box it it, it pretty much tells you exactly what was happening <laughs> in the movie and, and what, what's going on mm-hmm.
3: yeah but no like like steve like you said there's four or five all-timer scenes in this movie uh i mean the it's it's frequently memed and parodied on twitter but the man behind winkies still fucking gets me there's just something absolutely terrifying about that story and the image that pops out like it yeah i watched it in all of its 4k resolution glory and it still fucking got me all these years later i just because it's i i can't describe it it's just something so out of this world and i yeah i i i love lynch for that and the 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 fucking espresso scene is also great and uh yeah i i uh, i i just can't help but just gush over this movie because just everything i in it i love yeah i i think the other thing that i i loved about
2: mulholland drive this time when i rewatched it was it it really reinforced for me uh not only that you know david lynch is he's he's not a horror director in the traditional sense but if i think of like the two scenes that have terrified me and continue to be like burned into my brain as terrifying it's you know the the party scene the 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 mystery man phone call in lost highway and it's the the creepy guy behind the dumpster in mulholland drive and then mm. also david lynch has better comedic chops and, and instincts than any comedic director, almost (laughs) like he's like a top five comedic director when he wants to be, which is amazing considering that he's never, you know, created a movie that you go, Oh yeah, that's funny. But you know, Lost Highway has the, the scene where, you know, Mr. Eddie fucking rams a guy off the road (laughs) and pistol whips him. For tailgating him and then this movie Mulholland Drive has the uh, assassination scene yes where the assassin accidentally shoots a fat lady and it's this comedy of errors that goes on forever to the point where he ends up like having to shoot the vacuum cleaner and it's just it I was dying laughing <laughs> it's so good and in a movie where like that is not the tone at all at all yeah and yet it there's no there's no dissonance there it feels like it just kind of fits in with Lynch's universe and of, of course you get this kind of stuff in Twin Peaks but Twin Peaks is it's it's always it's dark but it's offbeat so it kind of works when he balances the really dark shit with with the comedic shit but here it's it's almost like a standalone scene <laughs>
1: and it's it's hilarious which is it's really incredible honestly it is that uh, if i had a critique of this and i on rewatch again all of these movies every time i rewatch them i like them more and more but uh i i still probably prefer lost highway i i think a lot of the the reason this one has the reputation that lost highway probably never will is that it, it in fact is a lot more accessible Uh, For a late Errol Lynch project, this is is downright accessible when you take the time to consider it, frankly. But it is, if I did have a critique of it, it would be that it it does sometimes have that sort of like Twin Peaks feel where it feels like a collection of scenes. Like, I I can almost, it it doesn't help, supposedly, I I mean, I suppose that I know that uh, it was a television show, but when you, with that knowledge, you can kind of see it sometimes, and... Mm-hmm. that's it It still works certainly but there it, when i think about this movie i don't think about the whole a lot of the time i, I think about these segments that just stand out like the club silencio the mm-hmm. naomi watts like uh her audition jesus christ that scene fucking powerful stuff
3: <laughs> yeah um yeah and you said like collection of scenes like there's a lot of stuff that seems to just get introduced and then immediately abandoned like we have this early uh, there's the car accident that kind of kicks everything off and then on the scene of the crime there's robert forster and brent briscoe are these two cops and there's like they're they kind of it kind of sums up the scene like there's someone missing but then it does not pursue that avenue is to make this uh uh, like we read his identity or where she was coming from is not really explored and uh, yeah the the one the one the one scene this is a scene I don't, I don't know if you guys want to feel my, my read on this but like my favorite scene in the movie is 16 reasons and it's right after the the amazing audition scene and they decide oh we're gonna take Betty down to the set and uh, Adam Kesher Justin throws character is uh, screening or auditioning girls for the role in his movie and Sixteen Reasons is playing on the the over the loud the system, the sound system, and the actress is lip syncing it. And then uh Betty walks into the studio and she looks over at the action of the film or the audition. And Adam Kesher, he's watching the action and he's wearing headphones, but he somehow like senses her presence and he turns around and looks at her, and the, do- the camera dollies in on him, and then it cuts back to Betty and the camera like does this great dolly in on her and their eyes lock and you could read it like, Oh, this is like a romantic scene or like, Oh, maybe he wants to cast this, 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 so he wants this girl now is to be the actress. But mm-hmm. I, I have like a darker read on it where this is like where the dream and the reality first collide. And there's an uneasiness in his face because the whole film, he's just like getting the shit kicked out of him by a pool man. His wife left him. He's like he's gangsters want him to like dead or finish their movie under his law or their law. And like it's it's this is the doing of Betty. And it's kind of like she's manipulating this reality that she's built for herself. And he finally sees, oh, you're the one doing this to me. And this it's not like a look of lust or anything in their eyes for me. It's like this. That's just a look of fear. I don't know. Am I I off base?
2: No, I mean that's that's the look you give to someone who may or may not be responsible for Billy Ray Cyrus punching you in the face. Yeah, honestly, <laughs> like that's that's <laughs> it, he he
3: like just looks over and is
2: like, "You did this to me." <laughs> yeah, no, I I mean again, that's that's another scene too that that uh, audition and then later when we're on the film set again and and he's you know being all like creepy and shit trying to show like here's how you move in for the kiss and rest your head on your shoulder. It's like, yeah. um, It's, yeah, it's, it's just really masterfully done. The, the way that they, they balance making him look like a schmuck and then also like kind of a lecherous piece of shit. And then you see how Naomi wants this character is, you know, how, how that's being manipulated in, in her dream versus the reality of who this guy is. Um, it's, it's really great. Like, just just all around yeah oh yeah it's the year 2022 now and here i am saying like hey if you don't know mulholland drive it's uh it's great stuff but yeah (laughs) i mean really yeah (laughs) seriously if you haven't watched this shit in a while fucking put it on it's it really is powerful shit
1: but that that tells you what you need to know i guess is that the scene jake is describing you could never pull that out of a first viewing that's (laughs) That's the thing about yeah. oh, David no. Lynch movies, I guess is you you would never get that nuance out of that scene on First yeah. Client. It's it's completely impossible. It needs to be contextualized.
3: Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've I've only I've seen this movie over a dozen times, so like, yeah, that's,
1: that's why.
3: Well, I, I, I do, but yeah, it's this. This is just it's it's a masterpiece. Go see so it. what happens. Yeah. What
2: happens after you see the cowboy for the twelfth time, then Jake? Well. Bad things happen, Steve.
3: <laughs> the
2: cowboy um, scene
3: is great too. I love. Oh yeah, yeah.
2: God. That's another creepy thing that's stuck with me. You know, even even after not seeing this movie for years and
3: years and years, I you never forget that scene at all. No. Yeah, it's yeah, it's, it's just tremendous. It, it and you is. Just, yeah,
1: and in in many ways, <laughs> it's just it's interesting how just to look at his work, especially his work from like '90s on, as as part of a whole, because this, I could see how this would function as a television show. I mean, outside of all the <laughs> copious nudity and uh, what have you, but uh, but it it in many ways does mirror like OG Twin Peaks, except it's it's like all of the great things about Twin Peaks without any of the the fluff, the filler. It's like all of it is just condensed <laughs> into this two-hour. Are you film. talking
3: about the middle of season two?
1: yes yes it's like
3: so we can use more civil war reenactments yeah
1: all the the incredible iconography of twin peaks packed into a a single two and a half hour film it's 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 a remarkable piece of work definitely even if it's not my favorite maybe also
3: what kind of gives it the edge for me is uh is betty herself or or diane whichever view you're looking at uh naomi watts one of the great star making performances in this movie. We, you know, David Lynch like brought her like like she just skyrocketed after this. You know, she started appearing in The Ring, but like like she just provides such a strong emotional core to this movie that uh I it just you don't see anymore. And yeah, her just her performance is just so wonderful and multifaceted and I, I I can't help but treasure it enough. And and so she's of any of, of all the other things, you know, I love Lynch, I love a great deal of his work, but it's it's Betty that is the reason why I keep coming back to this one.
1: Sure. I mean that is why uh, that that initial audition scene has such a punch, is because the whole movie she's been playing sort of the innocent, doe eyed yeah. new in town girl, and and then when she pulls out this audition it's like, Whoa,
3: <laughs> whoa yeah. <laughs> she's just the plucky gal from the midwest wanting to be an actress isn't she supposed to be from canada
2: yes yeah. well she is from yeah, canada see,
1: even yeah well but that's that's
2: how you know that like you know uh betty is is the dream version because uh she she doesn't have a convincing canadian accent at all no but the but. real
1: version is also from canada from the same place oh yeah, yeah that's
2: true that's and her, true You're and right. her
3: aunt goes to
2: canada uh. wow yeah. Sorry Naomi Watts, great performance but work on your fucking accent. <laughs> <laughs> uh no, she's she's great and Lynch is I mean, he's famous for for using kind of a stable of actors uh throughout his career and and you know, recasting people and um I, I think he's he's been so lucky because Laura Dern and Naomi Watts are just so talented. Just <laughs> head and shoulders above anyone else from their respective eras and it's it's wild just just like seeing how good they are like it's it's a master class and I I can't imagine anyone else playing their respective roles uh in his films which I mean that that speaks to how great they are so mm-hmm. yeah Naomi Watts is fucking awesome in this yeah so hey after Mulholland Drive What does David Lynch do next? And the answer is uh, actually a a PlayStation 2 commercial, believe it or not. (laughs) That's kind of weird. And then he does a shitload of short films. And then in December of 2006, he says, Hey, world, I just made a three-hour-long movie, and I shot it on, like, a consumer-grade digital video camera, and it is the most horrific nightmare (laughs) ever conceived. And here we are, it's time for Inland Empire. And I mean, okay, so maybe maybe it's going to take me another decade to kind of suss this one out completely. But, um, you know, if a lot of David Lynch's films have this kind of uh, nonlinear Mobius strip sort of uh, narrative structure to them, then I really feel like this, this goes beyond that. Inland Empire is it's splintering off in every direction. It's, it's like a, a spider web or like a cracked pane of glass. It's just narrative threads flying everywhere that occasionally intersect, but not always. And whether or not they're supposed to doesn't even really fucking matter. Um, this, is, th- this is something... And if you're trying to explain to someone, because I, I always like to ask you guys, like, oh, what is this about? Because, it, you know, it, it, it can be fun to try and just give me an elevator pitch of of what Inland Empire is. And David Lynch always goes back to the tagline for this one. He says, well, it's, it's, it's about a woman in trouble. And okay. he repeats this ad nauseum. In fact, there is a great interview that he gave to Alex Jones (laughs) shortly after the film was released. Yes, that Alex Jones. So Alex Jones (laughs) interviewed David Lynch for like 20 minutes or so. And they talk about Inland Empire for a bit. And uh, then Alex Jones tries to get his feelings on uh, like 9-11 and whether or not it was an inside job. And (laughs) it's great because Alex Jones just wants a straight answer and he's not getting it. And it's super fucking funny. So I'm actually I'm going to play a clip from this. So give me one second here.
0: All right. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. we got about 24 minutes left in this broadcast today. And I'm really honored to have an amazing director and writer on with us. I'm a fan of so many of his films. Uh, the Elephant David Man, Racer The Racer The TV Show, <laughs> uh, Twin Peaks, Blue Velvet, Lost Highway. It goes on and on. I even like Dune. Uh, What an epic uh, film there, and he is a prolific individual. He's got a new movie coming out. He was just screening it here in Austin. He has a signing at Barnes & Noble's today in North Austin. We'll tell you about that. We have links to it up on (laughs) Infowars.com right now. And uh, you know he's also made headlines with some of his uh, statements in politics lately. He is uh, David Lynch and the new... uh, Film coming out is Inland Empire, Mr. Lynch. It's a real honor to be able to speak with you. Good to talk to you, Alex. Tell us about uh, Inland Empire. I, I, I haven't gotten a chance to see it yet. Uh, tell us about the film. Well, all I say about it is it's a story of a woman in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm told it's it's like quite a few of your films. It's it's uh, it's it's pretty complex.
2: <laughs> so, anyways, this is. Uh... Hold on a second. I gotta. That... Turn this thing off uh it, it it goes on you can actually you can find this on youtube if you, if you want to listen to the whole thing um I'll, I'll throw i'll throw a link in the description too when we post the uh the episode but you know it goes on for another 20 minutes but basically alex jones is like well uh it sounds like there's a lot of kooky twists and turns here uh david and uh you know like can't you just uh g- you know give us a little more of a description about uh well, Alex, you know, bless your heart. It's uh, it's about a woman in trouble. That's all.
3: <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it's funny that we're like this is the this is the downside to David Lynch movies is that you shouldn't really like talk about them or discuss them because he says like the movie is the talking, like where it's kind
1: of mm-hmm. you're our, supposed to uh, listen. Uh, yeah,
3: yeah, we're supposed to just watch. <laughs> but uh, but you know, it's 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 really well. This was your idea,
1: Jake. You know. That's yeah, true. this is entirely your yeah
3: fault. yeah uh, it's my fault guys i've done it this is now the worst podcast we have ever done i'm sorry
1: i just like i wish that there was like i don't know maybe if alex jones did like uh reaction videos or something i i just would pay to <laughs> watch him viewing this movie i just can't imagine anything more ridiculous in my in my brain
0: oh
2: my
1: god get- I mean, it's it just like,
2: <laughs> can you think of it like he, I mean, he says at, at the beginning of this interview that he didn't actually see the movie, but like, if he actually went and saw it, the kind of questions that he would have for David, like, can you imagine what he would ask David Lynch? Oh God. It's like, <laughs> you know, David, I was wondering, uh, you know, we all know that Sandy Hook was a false flag. And do you feel like when the girl shows her titties in the, the dingy room and then they sing the locomotion, was that a false flag as well? Like... <laughs> <laughs> what, what what could he
1: possibly say to david lynn uh, i don't know
3: I, I yeah i'm really this more than any of his films this one you really kind of need to just dig your heels in and go for the ride because if you are not on board for any of this insane movie it is going to be the most maddening experience of your life uh i that's certainly how i felt when i first watched it 11 years ago but i, I loved it this time around but yeah, this Inland Empire is just insane. It's yeah, fucking insane. That
1: that is for sure. I I think it's a particularly demented film. I I tried at first. I was like, all right, well, you know, I I'm not trying to solve these movies. Obviously, uh, that's yeah. just a, a foolhardy. But at the very least, going back to the other two, I'm like, okay, I I can get a pretty good read on what's happening in these, especially in context with his other work. And I I. Th- I tried at the beginning of this one. I was like, okay, like I had this read. Oh, maybe you know this is an interesting bookend on his career with a racer head. It almost feels more personal. Like, like it, this movie's about the sacrifice inherent with creation. You know, the the like loss of identity that that comes with giving yourself to a piece of art and. You know, about 45 minutes into the movie, I was like, well, I don't fucking know that, I'm like, maybe I was just full of shit completely, and that is nothing to fucking do with, with anything that's happening in this movie, because I well, have no kinda idea. Well, it kind of does
2: for like, again, the first 45 minutes of the movie, that's a perfectly fine read, but.
3: It's, yeah, it's even kind of like Lost Highway, this is an interesting bookend here, we have kind of like Lost Highway, it seems like it's going somewhere, at least somewhat conventional, just with the, with the production of this haunted movie. And then once Lord Dern goes to uh, Poland and then spends time in the room full of prostitutes, like Steve said, uh, at that point, all bets are off. And if you don't, you really need to kind of sit with the next two hours, uh, which still has the capacity to be both brilliant and terrifying. Like oh, you said, sure. the, the consumer grade DV, uh, a lot of people bring that down. But I, you know, just... Just the way some things are just, they look like they're just lit with a flashlight, like Laura Dern slowly approaching the camera from the hillside. And then she, it like speeds up and she runs up to the lens and it's, it's all, it's so weird and, but yet (laughs) kind of, kind of great what he does with the format.
1: I don't Mm -hmm. mind the, the handicap stuff there. What, what it really bothered me is the beginning of the movie when it's like this like opulent Laura Dern mansion and he's doing like a fucking two shot with like Grace Zabriskie and Laura Dern. But it's like, he's filming Laura Dern with a a professional film camera or maybe digital, but you know, a a standard issue camera. And then it will cut to the other half of the conversation. He's filming Zabriskie with like this handheld (laughs) fucking digicab and it's the resolution is like infinitely different and you know there's no tripod being used or anything it's just kind of like i'm like what in the fuck was this choice it, it's completely insane like it's like nothing you've ever seen because it's not all shot of that format it, it continuously zips around between one thing and the next even in the exact same setting yeah yeah it's um it's very
2: upsetting. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, it's really unnerving. You know, we, we talked about how there's, there's all these scenes, uh, like the mystery man in lost highway and, and the guy behind the dumpster and you know, all these moments in David Lynch films where you're like, ah, they just kind of stick with you. Uh, inland empire is a little bit different because it somehow it still has those moments, but also the whole thing just makes you feel that uncomfortable. And, God, even the opening of this, where like Grace Zabriskie is is just walking over to Laura Dern's mansion or whatever and has this weird fucking conversation with her, the the entire thing is shot like an Apex twin music video. It's just this like grotesque, hyper close up, distorted, wide angle. Like, ah. it's every single trick in cinema that makes you feel uncomfortable. But because it's shot with a shit ass consumer grade you know, early two thousands camera. It it, it also doesn't feel cinematic. Like you don't get that artificiality. It feels very like, like it's a home movie, which makes it even more upsetting to watch.
1: Yeah. Um, It's like, he's employing tricks, I suppose, but also like any formally trained filmmaker who would be familiar with said tricks would want to like fucking strangle him to death for filming (laughs) it in this fashion. Yes
2: yeah. and, and I also want to say just just to lay that out this out there, it may sound that like what I'm saying right now might be like a criticism of this film, and while this isn't my favorite david Lynch movie, it's fucking great. It's just a lot it's a whole lot yeah I mean it's it's literally a lot because it's like three hours long yeah there's a ton going on, a so much going on, scene to scene, moment to moment, uh, characters introduced, characters removed just. All kinds of things happening. This is a, like, you know, catch the vibe wave and fucking ride it kind of movie. Unfortunately, the vibe wave is like, I don't know, like a a fucking chainsaw covered in blood, like, slicing through you. It's not always the most pleasant thing. Uh, And I think the thing that really struck me watching this now, as opposed to the last time I saw Inland Empire, which was shortly after it came out. It's, you know, it's been a while. this is like it, it feels like David Lynch is is trying to like push himself beyond the format of of a film. Like he's always kind of fucked with narrative structures a little bit, um, but now he's getting to the point where just the medium itself doesn't seem like it's enough for what he wants to do. Um, I, I know the, uh, the 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 bunny rabbit stuff, the the little rabbit family thing with the creepy like sitcom laugh track. He did a whole like additional 45 minute long film where it's just the rabbits. And I, I think was that just like was that was like released on the Internet or something? Is that some,
3: right? Some kind of shorts collection maybe had it. But yeah, it's this is at the point where he started doing that and he started doing all these like weird music videos in his backyard and he and mm-hmm. he really got into music at this point I think he even has a few songs on the soundtrack in here yeah but, he put out yeah. an album yeah, yeah
2: like this this is it, it feels like a a big chunk of a much broader larger multimedia project like th- yeah. this does not feel self-contained to me there's there's just like missing pieces and Again, even if I saw if if I watched all of his shorts from this period, and I listened to all his albums, and then I watched this. I'm I'm not saying I'd be like, oh, this is this all is like fucking making sense to me now. I I just it's just such an interesting piece of media beyond being a film because it's so all over the place and yet super compelling.
3: Yeah,
1: yeah, I could watch this yeah. movie like ten times in a row, and I still would be like, Wow. Like it, it's just no. like I mean, all. Uh, we talk about how he has this sort of obsession with duality. A lot of these films have actors playing multiple roles. Like, I couldn't mm-hmm. tell you how many roles Laura Dern or Peter Lucas are meant to be playing in this movie. Is it two? Is it 200? I'm not mm-hmm. sure. It just feels like they're, they're like, floating through lifetimes. It, it's just bizarre. You're completely unmoored.
3: Yeah, I was mm-hmm. kind of surprised at like how much of Inland's DNA was in Twin Peaks: The Return, because a lot of like the third episode where Coop escapes like the Black Lodge prison that he's in that is just kind of very much like push the viewer to the limit, uh, exer- exercise and style, mm-hmm. and also just like with the the g- like going back in time and saving Laura Palmer is kind of echoed through Laura Dern going to this this cosmic hotel location to save a young woman from the phantom which has her face on it and and that's the other thing too is about Lynch is that he just has the uh, uncanny ability to take like maybe the cheapest looking special effects you've ever seen and make them the most horrifying image like the the like the stretched out durn face but also like the drippy crying phantom mouth well, that gave me fucking nightmares. Ever. oh god yeah
2: yeah i i don't i don't like that at all like when they're in the they're in the hallway and then you mentioned this before but he's basically like i don't know if it's a construction light or like a, a bright flashlight but he's blasting this guy in the face with with a light so his, his face is obscured yeah and then it, it it almost looks like he's he's filming with his you know grotesque uh, cheap digital close-up but it it looks like there's something like pulled over this guy's face and then a bigger distorted version of his face is being projected onto his face. It's horrifying. Like this is like nightmare shit. I, I don't know. There's, there's a lot of stuff in here that's hard to shake. Oh and, yeah. And even sure. the things that seem innocuous, you know, uh, the, 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 the brief lulls are almost more unnerving because anytime something seems normal for about five seconds, it's such an abrupt change <laughs> that you're like, Oh God, what's going on here? Um, and and some of the stuff like the um uh, the the weird like hollywood talk show which is one of the more conventional things in, in the film that's like one of the most upsetting things <laughs> in the film too i yeah it's weird to like how
3: i don't i don't know everything is just kind of more like insular than wh- how it appears like it's ostensibly it's a talk show but it looks like it's just lynch and these three actors just like shot with a like in front of a curtain in an empty room well this like audience laugh track was just slapped over it and then he got yeah. william h macy to pop on set for five minutes to deliver like just one line as the announcer
1: uh yeah and that's like richly shot with film like, yeah uh okay i don't Close. understand what the fuck's happening in half of this but it's just it has moments like that that scene where Laura Dern gets stabbed with the screwdriver. It is just like oh God. vomiting blood in front of these homeless people who are having like this prolonged discussion about like a woman with a hole in her vagina. And that all sounds like fucking madness. And it is so goddamn compelling. You're like, wow, it's, and then he pulls like this jackass Godard <laughs> trick of like pulling out to reveal the camera. And you're like, God damn it. Is this hacky or is it the best scene I've ever seen in my life? I'm not sure.
2: That's that. I think that's exactly it It is. uh, It's so compelling. And if anyone else did this, it would suck shit. Mm -hmm. I mean, (laughs) there's so many things here where if you describe the scene that you just described, that's like fucking just, you know, film class, short asshole, artsy fartsy kid, bullshit. You know, every student film you've ever seen and rolled your eyes at, it's that. But because it's David Lynch, it's not that. So that's the difference. What separates David Lynch from anyone else is that he he can make something that could be conceived as, like, hacky or ugly, you know, because of his, his format choice here or anything else. And he just makes it infinitely compelling and, and the sort of, like, I don't know— it, I, Emotionally devastating probably isn't the best way to describe it because you're not that invested. But it's just like it's fucking with you. David Lynch has his fingers kind of dug into your chest and he's fucking with you the entire time, and uh, it's pretty cool.
3: <laughs> I mean, yeah he he's got his own he's got his own adjective now. He's anything is Lynchian. If it's not David Lynch doing it, it's usually terrible. When he does it, it's the mm-hmm. best thing I've ever seen.
2: Yeah, A- anything that's described as Lynchian that isn't actually done by David Lynch is dog shit.
1: Yeah. I'm going to stick by that 100%. Rule of,
3: rule of thumb, listeners.
1: Well, it, it's mm. yep. it's bizarre cuz obviously he like took up the baton. He's the the American surrealist filmmaker. I mean, who mm. who else would you even throw in the boat with him like Buñuel or but it's like other than that there is no one. And anyone who even attempts to do what he does can't fucking do it and it makes you wonder like he's pretty much done making films probably what he might make one more who knows but yeah uh, where does surrealism go from there because it it sure doesn't seem like anyone can do what he does and I mean surrealism is not about imitation but I think that's a lesson a lot of people fail to learn like a Lynch film is not similar in many ways to a Bunuel film but it is It's not evolved since Lynch. You know, it it feels like everyone who he's become so synonymous with that style of filmmaking that. Yeah. Yeah. People who try to make surrealist films just try to make Lynch films and fail miserably. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Well, the the new
2: the new evolution for surrealism is David Lynch's YouTube channel where every day he like tells you what the weather is. (laughs) Well, it looks like it's going to be 35 and sunny today. So wear a jacket and some sunglasses that's that's pretty much it that's yeah (laughs) i hope that's his lasting legacy i honestly hope that he never makes another film but we get inland empire
1: and then him telling us what the fucking weather is for the past two years there you go i yeah
3: that'd be great
1: the thing is like my initial read on why i had difficulty with these films beyond what i've already expressed is is i i feel like a lot of his films read to me as antagonistic like And I'm not sure if that's true or not, because I I think it's easy to conflate uh, antagonism and kind of pushing his audience away with pushing himself into new territory. And and it's hard to decide really which is the case, because it always seems like when he's on the verge of commercial success with something like Twin Peaks, that's when he's going to make Fire Walk With Me, which feels like... Oh, you like Twin Peaks? Get fucked! (laughs) Uh, I'm not doing that anymore. Uh, It it just feels like a big swing, like you know, he he was always pushing people away and maybe you could read Inland Empire in a similar way, because Mulholland Drive did quite quickly gain uh, a significant following, and and Inland Empire is boy, it's pushing. (laughs) It does not want you to like it at all. (laughs) Yeah. I think I think
3: just to kind of sum up why Lynch is endeared for so long is that he, with the maybe the exception of Dune which feels con- compromised by a studio in some ways is that he's largely got made movies his own way and had held his own authorial control mm-hmm. and it's it's about his voice and I think that's that's just a lot of things that Like, me, I know, and just other people, like, as an audience, what I think we want to see is, does this film have a voice? Just because we're getting just so bogged down by just this conventional studio crap that has to, A, play it safe, and B, set up more sequels so they can keep people employed to make money, but there's no risks. And I think that's, you know, one of the reasons why I like The Matrix Resurrections is because it, it like Lana Wachowski has a voice in it, but it, it people are like pissed off at it as a, as a matrix sequel, but I love how it just goes big and meta and dumb. And I just loved every minute of it, but yeah, it's, it's the, it's just Lynch's uncompromising nature. And yeah, he's kind of just cornered the market on American surrealism. And, and that's just, that's, you know, it's, it's great that we have this, this pocket of work that he's, he's added to the world. And it's, just something to, if you if he never makes anything again, you know, I'll, of course I'll be sad, but I, I I'll be happy to celebrate what we do have because it's better than most other things out there.
1: Well, that's true. I mean, even in that Matrix conversation, like that's kind of a frustration for me is, I don't think that movie's especially great. I think it was they they had the kernel of something interesting in it, but at the we're at the point now where that is enough. Like the vague kernel of something interesting that is not executed especially well feels like some sort of glorious success because everything is wallpaper. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yep, I'll I'll, I'll fucking take that. So,
2: <laughs> anyways, uh, David Lynch. You've seen his movies. Go go rewatch them. You haven't you haven't watched Inland Empire in a long time, have you, listener? Go watch Inland Empire. Go carve out three hours. I mean, maybe watch, watch the other
1: two first.
2: <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe yeah. do that first. But you know, just give, give yourself a day. You know give what? A little Lynch day.
3: Go go in order. Start with the racer head. Have your mind blown by that, and then build to Inland Empire. And that's kind of like the final. If you just want raw, unfiltered Lynch going hog wild, that's that's the one to end it on.
2: Yeah, it's, that's that's the way to do it. Yeah. That's the way to do it. All right, boys. Well, we got to wrap things up. So, uh, Jake, what are you putting over this week? Oh, golly gee. Um, yeah. So yeah, you didn't see this one coming, did no. you? I never asked this question. Of course not.
3: No, but uh, I uh, I watched a movie last night uh, for the first time that I loved called uh, Rebels of the Neon God. It's the uh, feature debut by one Simon Lang, a filmmaker we're all fans of here, and uh, it's yeah, it's just recently been put on a nice new Blu-ray edition. From a partner label via Vinegar Syndrome. I don't know the name of the actual label it's on, but uh, I was uh, I thought it was a really cool movie. Uh, it's got a lot of uh, youthful exuberance to it, and uh, not really doing Cy much of a <laughs> doing him a kind of a disservice and just summing up the movie that way. But uh, I would a highly recommend that, and also I would just highly recommend watching Simon Lang films because I think I'm probably gonna do a run of his work and he's another filmmaker who just makes incredible features and also has maintained his own voice for the last 25 years or so. So, uh, yeah, check out, uh, check out any of his films, but, uh, yeah, Simon Ling movies. Marius, what are you putting over this week?
1: Uh, I'm putting over something that'll be familiar to you gentlemen. Cause I've been putting it over in the chat, but, uh, the HBO has released this show called station 11. That is uh, just about to wrap up. It's, uh, it's first and only season it's it's a mini series so uh thankfully it doesn't have that much time to ruin the good work that it has done thus far so uh yeah it uh, the the pilot is about a pandemic and uh i don't know maybe that hits harder now or maybe it's harder to watch for you now i that kind of depends on you personally but for me it was just one of the best depictions of of that sort of scenario i i've Seen on film and it was uh really just gripping immediately and i i thought the pilot was one of the best i've seen in years and years and it goes in a very different direction from there uh it, it's basically uh it's reminiscent of some like damon lindelof television work but uh again it's got a finite number of episodes so uh it, it, it can't spin out. Uh, it's based on an award-winning novel, and uh, it really just kind of centers on some stories uh, uh, before and after this cataclysmic pandemic. And, uh, man, it's it's really good. It's I, I haven't seen a television show that has resonated with me this strongly for quite some time. So, yeah, I would recommend that. Station Eleven. Well, well, well. We got our prestige TV. We have our, uh,
2: classic, uh, gay Asian cinema. And, uh, let let me, let me recommend a real movie, some, some real art. You guys like real art, right? Sure. Sure. I'm going to tell you about a movie from 1998 called whatever it takes. And, uh, if you've never heard of whatever it takes, well, I'm not shocked. Uh, vinegar syndrome, Put it out, uh, I think, last year, maybe. I don't know. But it was like a VSA release. And I, I have not heard anyone talk about this movie. But it is goddamn delightful. Um, it, like I said, it's from the late 90s. But it stars, you ready for this? Uh, a mid-40s Don the Dragon Wilson, uh, mm. who is uh, just just falling apart before our eyes in this. Uh, his head is shaped like a rhombus. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's not a, a good time in his life. Uh, It's got Fred Williamson in it who uh, he's wearing a pinky ring in this movie throughout the entire movie. And allegedly the reason he has the pinky ring on and the reason you will see him wearing a pinky ring throughout this era of his film career is because his hands got too fat and he couldn't take it off. (laughs) And then it's got the secret sauce, Andrew Dice Clay, one of the, the most underrated thespians in the history of cinema and uh, he is a delight his outfits make zero sense at all he looks like a like a biker on his way to the renaissance fair <laughs> um it is uh, ostensibly it's like a, a a buddy cop undercover investigation movie and and they're supposed to be like vice cops and fred williamson is is the kingpin drug dealer and you're probably asking yourself, like, oh, what kind of drugs is he selling? Is it is it weed? Is it cocaine? Is it heroin? Is it some, like, you know, uh, in invented drugs specifically for this movie? It's unlike anything we've ever seen on the street before. Nuke. No, it's steroids. Oh. It's
1: fucking steroids. Well, it's so weird. <laughs> I mean, Fred Williamson it's, definitely knows a thing or two about steroids, I would think. Well, I mean, he certainly <laughs> does. But... <laughs> It's it's just bizarre because
2: like it's shown like there's there's all these like guys like playing basketball lifting weights and then there's just like drug pushers on street corners like hey man you want to make it to the NBA inject this into your balls like it's it's so bizarre like it is detached from reality and the the thing that really seals it if you're not sold yet I'm sorry because this is this is a god tier film but the thing that truly sells it is there is a completely egregious Ford Fairlane reference in whatever it takes. Wow. And that is a beautiful thing. Sold. So walk, don't run to, I guess, the internet and uh, watch whatever it takes. It it will blow your dick off straight through your butthole. I'll promise you that. All right. Well, if you enjoyed today's episode, do us a big favor. There's uh, There's a link in the description to this podcast that'll take us... That take you to our Patreon page, and wouldn't you know, you can give us money. How great would that be? Great for us. That would be wonderful. We need money. Podcasts cost money. Did you know that? Now, if you donate any amount of money at all, whether it's at the lowest tier, the highest tier, whatever, I will send you a film from my personal collection straight to your doorstep. That is that is very exciting. Is it a DVD? Is it a Blu-ray? Is it a laser disc? Is it a box set of VHS tape? You have no idea what's coming your way. Maybe it's, I I have a 16 millimeter film uh, reel of shit that I shot when I was in college. Maybe I'll send that to you. Probably not, but you don't know. You don't fucking know. So give us some money and you'll get a movie. How great is that? And at higher tiers, you know, you can start to vote on content that we put out on the podcast. You can get your name read out on the air. You could be an all-star. You know, the likes of uh, of Dustin Zick. There's a man who's given us money at a tier where I will say his name on a podcast. How about that? And if you get even higher than that, yeah, you can, you can start to dictate. You can buy an episode, okay? For a, a very reasonable sum, you can dictate a full episode. Uh, and I have been threatened by people with things before. So maybe if you don't like us, is it worth it to you? Is $20 worth it? to hurt us because you can pay $20 and hurt us. That's an option for you. So uh, yeah, if if you got a couple extra bucks to throw us, that would be great. Otherwise, uh, you know, if you have any questions, comments, death threats, marriage proposals, optimismvaccine at gmail.com. You can send those that way, or you can tweet at us at optimismvaccine. And boy, howdy, would we love to hear from you. And I think that's pretty much everything. So Jake, the final word is yours. Give me back my phone.